Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, hey there, Bible Center family. It's good to have you here. Thank you for being with us this morning. Also want to welcome those who are joining us online or on TV. Uh, It's great to have you as well. If you're new, I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down front. But again, thank you uh, for worshiping the Lord with us today. If you take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of James, James chapter three. James chapter three is where we're going to begin in a moment in verse 13. And while you're turning there, I want to make just a quick announcement about our upcoming membership class. We've got a membership class coming up soon. All the details are on the app, on the website. But we, you may wonder, why do we emphasize membership here at Bible Center? Well, the first reason is we want to go against the, the culture. We want to be a countercultural church. And sometimes when we think culture, we just think about the things on the surface uh, that we can see and touch and feel. But, but really, when we're talking about culture, we're talking about heart issues. And we believe that in our culture, one of the big heart issues uh, is to, uh, that we want to push back on is this lack of commitment. And so we want to encourage church membership to be countercultural. Another reason we encourage it is to be a more caring church. It's one of our goals this year uh, to really wrap our arms definitely around our whole church, especially our, our membership, and make sure no one falls through the cracks. And so we're coming out of the pandemic by God's grace, and we all need care. And we want to make sure you are not uh, missed accidentally. We try to care for everyone, membership, non-members, but definitely want to make sure no one falls through the cracks, and so we want to emphasize membership. And then the last reason that we emphasize membership is to challenge our believers, to challenge one another to go deep spiritually. Uh, we don't want to be a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to go deep in Christ, deep in the great truths of the faith. And so, again, let me encourage you to check out the membership class uh, coming up and be sure to sign up for that. Let's go ahead and read our text, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice." But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Now, life sets before us all kinds of choices, doesn't it? There are all kinds of choices in life. And one of the truths about choices is that to choose one often means then that we are saying no to another. When you choose Chick-fil-A, you're saying no to McDonald's. When you say yes to Honda, you're saying no to Chevy. When you say yes to the Bengals, right, you're saying no to the Rams. But there are a lot of things in life that are much more serious than just our favorite team or our favorite car. For instance, when you say yes to your spouse, you're saying no to all others. 
When you say yes to a vocation, typically, at least for a season of life, you are saying no uh, to all other vocations. When you say yes to a particular retirement plan, you're saying no to all the others. And we see this theme all throughout the scriptures. In the scriptures, there's this theme of choosing godly wisdom over worldly wisdom. Solomon talked a lot about it back in the wisdom literature. Uh, David talked some about it. Jesus talked about it when Jesus compared the broad road that leads to destruction versus the narrow road that leads to life. And so that's what James is doing here. In the verses we just read a moment ago, it was James's poetic way of describing or contrasting the way of life versus the way of death. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Let's go ahead and dive in and look at the difference between the two. What is godly wisdom? Well, it's probably best first to talk about what wisdom is and what wisdom isn't. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. In the Bible, wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. It's how we put our knowledge into practice. Uh, Here's some examples of the differences between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, Knowledge says honey is sweet. Honey is sweet. That's knowledge. We, We know that. Honey is sweet. But wisdom is actually holding a particular jar of honey in our hand and saying, this honey is sweet. I have tasted it. That's the difference. Uh, there's going to be a lot of knowledge tonight. Those of us who watch the ball game from our couches, right? We're going to know what's best, what call to be made, what the ref should have done or shouldn't have done, what the quarterback should have done or shouldn't have done. There's going to be a lot of knowledge tonight on our couches as we watch the Super Bowl, uh, but maybe not a lot of wisdom, right? Unless you've played at that level or some level similar. Uh, the wisdom is going to be hopefully out on the field people who are putting their knowledge into practice. So let's compare godly wisdom with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, first of all, creates factions and divisions. The Greek word for ambition in verse 14 doesn't refer to healthy ambition, but instead it refers to rivalries, a desire for power or prestige or control. James defines this as worldliness. But on the other hand, uh, godly wisdom creates peace and unity. We see it in verses 17 and 18. Christians with godly wisdom seek to build bridges in every space they possibly can. It doesn't mean that Christians uh, don't have hard conversations. We're going to see that here in a couple weeks as we go through James. Uh, but it's just that we as Christians are seeking to bring peace and harmony and wholeness to every environment, whether that environment be home, whether it be church, whether it be work, whether it be with our friends. We are seeking to make peace. So it's a comparison. Here's another comparison. Or Matthew 5, 9, we have to look at that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, the other comparison. Worldly wisdom primarily does good for the benefit of one's self. Worldly wisdom primarily does good for the benefit of one's self. You see this in verse 14. 
Twice in this text, verse 14, and then again in verse 16, James identifies this as selfish ambition. It's this willingness to somehow promote ourselves and our power, our prestige, and trample on others no matter the relationship. We see this kind of worldly wisdom manifest itself in the American dream. The American dream says, advance yourself, promote yourself, right? Push yourself. That's the American dream. Make yourself more famous. Make yourself more popular. But Jesus said, deny yourself. And so there's a difference between the American dream per se and what Jesus teaches, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Unfortunately, this has kind of crept into the church in places, not so much at Bible Center, thankfully, but it's crept in other places, and we want to make sure we always avoid it. It shows itself in the form of health and wealth teaching and preaching. The health and wealth gospel says this, if you'll follow Jesus, you'll have whatever you want. If you'll follow Jesus, you will have whatever you want right? God is up in heaven waiting to answer your prayers and can't wait to bless you physically, financially, socially, if you'll just give your heart to him. And that just continues to rear its ugly head throughout American Christendom. The problem with that is that God doing what's best for us may or may not be what we think is best for us. We see that in the scriptures, which is why we pray. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. The great theologian, Garth Brooks, said it best. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. On the other hand, godly wisdom seeks to do good for others. It's not about me, it's about others. In verse 13, James builds on the truth that he has taught earlier in his book that faith without works is dead. And so in verse 13, he says, if you want to know, if you want to know what wisdom looks like, it doesn't look like me up here talking about it on a platform on Sunday morning. Wisdom is shown in a good life. So in other words, probably for most of us, people, the people who know whether or not we're truly wise are probably those who know us the most, those who live with us those who wake up with us, those who go to bed with us, those are the people that truly know our wisdom. And the truth is we all have room to grow in this area. The word good, if you're taking notes, could be translated beautiful. And James is saying, strive for a beautiful life, for that is the outworking of godly wisdom. A third comparison, worldly wisdom is always boastful. It's always boastful, either actively or a little bit passively. In verse 14, we see this. It compensates for some feeling of inadequacy by making some part of one's life more important or bigger than it really is. On the other hand, godly wisdom is humble. Godly wisdom is humble. Godly wisdom is meek. You ever met somebody who bragged about how wise they are? Right? Most likely, if you got to brag about how wise you are, you're probably not very wise. Uh, we had something similar in our college dorm room my freshman year. Our freshman dorm supervisor uh, was a real quiet guy. 
first-class guy, real quiet guy. We had two other guys in our dorm who weren't all that quiet. They weren't in charge of anything. They thought they should be. And they were constantly bragging about their black belts. They had black belts. And maybe they did. Maybe they had black belts. But all I know is finally, like the last week and a half of school, we were taking finals. They pushed and pushed and pushed our dorm soup to the, to the limit. And he just flattened them both, you know, in a couple seconds, just flattened them both. And come to find out, none of us knew it. He really did have a black belt. He really did, right? Those who often are wise are those who don't have to brag about it. But those who are seeking to push themselves and promote themselves, Jesus said something about this in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Worldly wisdom, another comparison, is envious. We see it again in verse 14 and 16. Some Bible versions translate it as jealous, but selfish and unwise people yearn for what does not belong to them. They're in the constant state of wanting more. If you've seen that movie, The Greatest Showman, the song Never Enough, this is the theme of this kind of person, never enough. On the other hand, godly wisdom is content with reality. Verse 14, godly wisdom is content with what is true. It's impartial and sincere. It seeks to root out any hypocrisy that pops up, any weeds that pop up in its own heart. The truth is we all have those weeds that we've got to root out, that we've got to destroy. I like what N.T. Wright said about this. The challenge then for God's people is to be able to tell the truth about the way the world is and about the way wicked people are behaving without it turning into a perpetual grumble. And in particular, without becoming someone whose appearance of wisdom consists of being able to find a cutting word to say about everyone and everything. There is still, after all, a vast amount of beauty, love, and generosity, and sheer goodness in the world. Those who follow Jesus ought not only to be celebrating it, but contributing to it. It's better, as the saying goes, to light a candle than to curse the darkness. I love that. Look what James is saying. Another comparison, according to James, is that worldly wisdom is sharp and prickly. Worldly wisdom is sharp and prickly. The word bitter could be translated in verse 14 as sharp and prickly. It defines a harsh, resentful cynicism. It has an appearance of wisdom, but it's constantly being sharp and prickly, typically with his words, but at least with its attitude. Now, what does James say about it? We've heard what James says about it. What about Solomon? What does Solomon say about it? Solomon said in Proverbs 30 and verse 33 that the wringing of the nose brings forth blood. The punching of the nose brings forth blood. And Solomon warned us not to be a type of people who are constantly going around trying to punch one another in the nose actively or passively because it only brings a mess. It only brings forth blood. That's worldly wisdom. Again, N.T. Wright in his commentary on James says, this refers to a spirit that is always carping and criticizing, which cannot let a nice word go by without adding a nasty one. When someone with that kind of spirit claims to be healthy, 
often in our context, it's done in the form of joking, right? Like, I was just joking. I was just joking. And when someone with that kind of spirit claims to be healthy, James says such a person is boasting. They are telling lies against the truth. On the other hand, verse 17, godly wisdom is considerate and gentle. Considerate refers to a sweet reasonableness. We submit to the sovereign will of God, and it may not be something we like, but we submit to it knowing that God is good and God knows what's best. It's a sweet reasonableness. I love the way Carl Sandburg describes Abraham Lincoln. Abe Lincoln was known as a man who was strong but meek. He had strength, but he was gentle. Carl Sandburg said Abraham Lincoln was a man of velvet steel. Don't you want to be a little more like that? Boy, I do. A man of velvet steel. May God help us to be those kind of men and women. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Here's another comparison. Verse 15. Worldly wisdom is primarily concerned with earthly reward. It's primarily concerned with the here and now. Worldly wisdom has the have-it-your-way mentality that pervades so much of our culture. It shows up in how we spend our money, how we spend our lives. We want what we want right now. But godly wisdom is the opposite. It's concerned with future reward. Verse 18, James describes this harvest of righteousness. This harvest of righteousness. That's a farmer's way of saying that if we will sow the seeds, one day we will be rewarded in heaven with great reward for being peacekeepers. For being peace, we may not be peacemaker, we may not get rewarded much on earth for being peacemakers, but if we'll strive to be peacemakers on earth, we can expect a harvest of reward on judgment day for those of us who are Jesus followers. James says to live with that view in mind. It's exactly what Jesus said again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just a few more comparisons, but they're worth noting. Here's a comparison. Worldly wisdom is unspiritual. That is, it sees the world merely as natural. Worldly wisdom is unspiritual. However, godly wisdom recognizes the spiritual realm. Do you know anybody like this who refuses to believe that God exists or refuses to believe that angels exist? They refuse to believe. Perhaps they say it this way, only what you can see is all there is. What you can see is all there is. James says that's a natural way of looking at life. But instead, he calls us to see a spiritual way, or in his words, a a way that is pure, a way that is righteous, verse 17. To have our eyes on spiritual integrity and moral truth, knowing that there is a divine standard. That's the opposite of 
unspiritual. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Another comparison in verse 15, this one is a little more pointed. Worldly wisdom is demonic. Worldly wisdom is demonic, verse 15. Like Satan and his demons, worldly wisdom thinks it knows more than God and it knows more than the Bible. Remember the case of the temptation of Adam and Eve, particularly Eve in the Garden of Eden? Satan said, has God really said? Has God really said this? That's demonic wisdom. And doesn't mean that we're demonic or that we're possessed. It's just saying that there is a culture in the world that would constantly cause us to question whether or not the Bible is true. And it shows up in all aspects of our life. He says it's demonic. But on the other hand, godly wisdom in verse 17 is said to be heavenly. Godly wisdom comes to us from heaven. It comes to us from God. Now, just a quick little time out about verse 17, about this sort of wisdom. When James says that wisdom comes from above, some translation says it comes from above. Other translations say it's heavenly. It's his way to highlight the gospel in a passage that really otherwise doesn't say a whole lot about the gospel. You say, how does this idea of wisdom coming to us down from heaven, how does that apply to the gospel? Well, in the Greco-Roman world, they, they, they considered, they considered the, whole, the entire world to have been created by some sort of intelligence. They would have infer, affirmed intelligent design. They looked at mathematics and they saw that there's too much design in mathematics for there not to be a, some type of designer. They looked at the human body. They looked at nature and they believed in this life force of wisdom. If you've seen you know, Star Wars, they had some type of a belief in a force. Now, interestingly, they called this force the logos, L-O-G-O-S, the logos. We translate it as the word, but we could also translate it as wisdom. They mean the same thing in context. And so they believed in this mysterious wisdom force, the logos, the, the, the word that created everything, but they really didn't know what had created it. And that's why John says in his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Let's plug in wisdom. In the beginning was the wisdom and and the word wisdom was God. In John 1.14, he says that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what James is saying and what John are saying is this. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, go to a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That was wisdom. Wisdom personified. Greeks, Romans, Americans, we not need wonder what wisdom is or isn't. Wisdom isn't a power. Wisdom is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've not yet put your faith in Christ, the call to you is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And as you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ, you too can be a follower of Jesus. There's no set prayer to pray in the Bible. 
But in a moment when we have prayer, or even now as you sit there, I invite you to turn your heart over to Christ. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. We've got a baptism service coming up here in a couple of weeks. If you this morning are deciding you want to be a follower of Jesus and you're ready to go public with your faith, sign up for baptism. You can do that on the app. You can do it on the website. Let the world know, I am a Jesus follower and I am not ashamed. Jesus is the wisdom personified. We see in verse 16, another comparison. Worldly wisdom is chaotic and disorderly. Human wisdom results in confusion and instability. The wording here literally means chaotic frenzy and fighting. It refers to all the instability and restlessness caused by a wisdom that doesn't seek unity and peace. On the other hand, godly wisdom is submissive and compliant, according to verse 17 submissive and compliant. A godly wisdom is shown up in the way a a, a soldier, in the way he or she submits to his or her superiors. That's the wording James uses here in verses 16 and 17. It's orderly. There's an order to it. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You could translate that submissive in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then one last comparison is this matter of evil uh, versus good. Worldly wisdom can be summed up in the word evil, verse 16. But on the other hand, godly wisdom is summed up as merciful and full of good fruit. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now that's a lot of comparison. A lot of things you can study this week in your notes. But I've got one thing to know and one thing to do. One thing for you to know and one thing for you to do before we're done. Here's the one thing I want you to know. Simply this. The wisest Christians heal relationships and make peace. The wisest Christians heal relationships and make peace. Now, everything we just read, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, I got to admit, it was confusing to me a couple weeks ago when I started studying this passage. What is he talking about? I read and listened to the messages of others. And what exactly is, is James saying here? The reason it's hard to understand somewhat is because, again, it's a poem. It's those of us who don't really think in poetry. It's a little hard for us. Jesus thought a lot more in stories. James thought more in poetry. I think more in charts, which could not be more opposite of the other two. But really what James is saying here is not just about the point isn't wisdom. In context, the point isn't wisdom. So that's why the the point isn't go be wise. No, in context, James is saying godly wisdom is a means to an end. What is the end? In context, that end is to heal relationships and make peace. The verses before this, the verses afterward, all point to the relationship we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so James is saying that wise people have a way of making connections and bringing people together when unwise people or those with worldly wisdom 
bring division and strife everywhere they go. Think about how this plays out in athletics, right? Wise people in athletics know how to make connections. I was thinking this week about Larry Bird, Larry Bird. Now, Larry Bird probably, in my opinion, was one of the most unathletic or at least, um, yeah, he he had like a three-inch vertical jump. Uh, Larry Bird was slower than a speeding bullet, but yet he was one of my top three players growing up. Larry Bird's in the Hall of Fame. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? Well, it's not for his vertical jump, and it's not for his speed. He's in the Hall of Fame because he knows how to make connections. They said Larry Bird wasn't just one step ahead. He was at least five steps ahead. He knew what you were going to do before you even knew what you were going to do. He knew the strengths of his own team, the weaknesses of his own team, the opportunities of his own team, and the threats of his own team. And he knew the same thing about the other team. And so he could walk out on the court and instantly see all the different connections that need to be made. And he was like a, he just brought it all together. He, his wisdom led to relationships. That's what James is teaching here in the six verses we just read. The same is true for an orchestra. Think about great composers, great composers. What do great composers do that not so great composers don't do? Well, great composers see connections. They see relationships and they make relationships. They have the same notes that everyone has ever had uh, who makes music. They have the same instruments that we've had for millennia, right? Everybody knows the sound of a trumpet and an oboe and a cello, but what makes a great composer? Their wisdom is able to see connections between notes and instruments that nobody else has ever been able to see. They bring things together that seem unrelated. That's what James is calling us to do here in these six verses. To be people who through the gospel, yes, we don't sacrifice truth, but through the truth of the gospel, we seek to build bridges, not tear them down. And so I'll ask you, in the environments that you're in, are you known for building bridges or are you known for being the one who always tears them down? How does this work at home? How does this work at church? How does this work with your friend group? How does this work at work, even with unbelievers? Is your presence salt and light, or are you known for being the one who's constantly stirring the pot? James says, if we're going to win this world for Jesus, we've got to be the peacemakers, which is why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God of God. The wisest Christians heal relationships and make peace. Growing up, we had a pastor at our church who was great at this. He was great at this. His name was Dave. And Dave was the kind of guy that anytime there was conflict, Dave would kind of like run to the conflict and seek to bring understanding. And and he was the kind of guy that, that, you know, I was a deacon's son. And so sometimes those in church leadership hear things they probably shouldn't hear, but they hear things. And, and so I just knew that Dave was the kind of guy who runs to the conflict and he brings peace. One of his phrases that he would use or something like it was, was like, you know, uh, uh, some things are, are not problems to solve, they're tensions to manage. He was just great at managing these tensions. Well, unfortunately, Dave developed cancer and Dave died. And it just shattered our church. It just I remember my parents, it grieved their hearts. But Dave had three small kids. One's name was Stephanie, the other name was Michael, and the other's name was John, or Johnny. 
Well, John or Johnny is now John King, our executive pastor here at Bible Center Church. And if you know John, John's just a chip off the old block. He's just like his dad able to run in and, and keep not just our 72 employees here at this church and the school and the preschool, but with our members. John is just great at peacekeeping. Think about somebody in your life who's like that. May God help us to be more like them and less like the world. The wisest Christians heal relationships and they try, they try to make peace. So what can you do? What can we do? What's one step we can do? Well, there's probably 10 things we can do, but this morning I just want to leave you with one step. Here it is. Simple, simple thing. If you're in conflict with somebody, ask them. Ask them today, what can I do to make peace with you? What can I do to make peace with you? It's simple, but think about what would happen if we all did that. Is there somebody in your life you're at odds with? What if you went to them and said, what can I do to make peace with you? It puts the responsibility on yourself. Now, this is going to take great humility because you know they've been a knucklehead too, right? But what if you said it this way? What can I do to make peace with you? Is it possible to make peace with everybody? No, it's not possible. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it be possible, as much as lies within you, live it peaceably with all men. So in other words, there's some people that it's not possible. You might ask this question to somebody this week and they may tell you the only way we're gonna have peace is if you do jumping jacks on the moon. Well, obviously, you're not, probably not gonna do jumping jacks on the moon anytime soon. So you may not be able to make peace and you just gotta give that to God. But think about this. In your home, in your extended family, at work, in the church, your friend group, your former friend group, is there somebody you need to call this week and say, hey, let's grab coffee? Is there somebody you need to just, if they want to answer your call, maybe you text. Is there somebody you need to ask and just say, what can I do to make peace with you? And what if a third of us who asked that question actually made peace? Just a third. Think about what that could do for our community. Think about what that could do for our testimony. Think about what that could do for the cause of Christ. Ask this week, what can I do to make peace with you? You say, Matt, why should I ask that? It goes back to our big idea. Because the wisest Christians heal relationships and make peace. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 